the message was great, but I, I, did, I still didn't get the connection. And so, and you're not getting it yet, I'm about to tell you. So I go back a second time, and, and, and all of a sudden it hits me. This is, this is, this is basically my sermon series. The, the, the movie's message, even most of the songs, particularly one, is the sermon series. And so last week I called some of our worship team and I asked if Sonia would kind of lead the charge here and, 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 and help sing a song live that was on that soundtrack and in that movie. And we're going to do that in just a minute. But I thought, I've got to somehow bring you up to speed and, and, and bring you to a place where you'll understand where I'm going. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and, and be really relevant this morning. I'm going to use a, 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 a new uh, a movie about a man that was lived over 200 years ago, born in 1810, Phineas Taylor Barnum, uh, a, a new movie written about his life, and I'm going to use that message this morning, fresh and right here, live, sermon number two. And I know that there have been preachers that have preached whole sermon series on movies. I'm not there yet, but I can preach one, <laughs> and I'll use more scripture than you can shake a stick at, so hang on. Let's go to the trailer, and let me walk you through a couple of things, bring you up to speed here. So take a moment and, and just experience what was called the greatest show. All right, here we go. Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. You're still just the Taylor's boy. I'll stop right there. You're still just a Taylor's boy. You see, he, he came from a very humble beginning. He was poor and, and he had nothing. His dad died at a young age. And so a man looked at him and said, you're just still a Taylor's boy. And they began to plant seeds in his mind that he needed to be more than who he was. So that's the beginning of the show. All right, carry on. Better luck with your next job. Those people will never accept us. This is the life I promised you. Not even close. I have everything I want. Oh my. That was his wife. He says to his wife, this isn't the life I promised you. Not even close. She looks at him. A leaky roof. Not much money. He just lost his job. And her statement to him was, but I have everything I want. Let me tell you something, man. When your wife says to you, when you have nothing, that she has everything she wants, you've got a good woman. But sometimes we don't hear what those who love us most are saying because we want more. Carry on. together a show. It's a place where people can see things they've never seen before. Okay. Who's that? And what is your act? I don't have an act. Everyone's got an act. People aren't going to like it if you put us on stage. Oh, I'm counting on it. Well, I believe those are the words of a scoundrel. A showman. This just a showman. Don't listen to them. They don't understand yet. But they will. So tell me, do you want to go? Where it's coming in all the color lights. Where the runaways are running the night. Impossible come 
Does it bother you that everything you're selling is fake? Did the smile seem fake? We have more protesters every day. I tried to preach! You're risking everything you've built. Well, how do you think I built it? Stop right there. You're risking everything you've built. His partner says, you're risking it all. Why? He says, how do you think I got this? He's living now in a fantasy world. He's willing to trade everything he has for more and more and more and more. That's the setting. Continue on to the end. The world is positioning us. But you put us in the spotlight. You gave us a real family. Have you no shame? Father, the world is changing. made a difference by being like everyone else. All right, now, you saw a scene of Mr. Phineas running there. Just about a second you saw it. That was the most powerful scene in the movie because at the end of the day, and in just a moment, you're going to hear the song they were singing when he was running back home. But what really is the problem? How do people begin to wander? Well, I think Scripture puts it best in Proverbs 27, 20. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. You see, the lust of the eyes get us in trouble every time. And I'm not just talking about sensual lust. I'm talking about materialism, lust, things. There's got to be more than just this life. I mean, it just sort of seems as if maybe there's got to be something in having more uh, cars and, and more money, more fame, more fortune, more recognition, whatever it is. It's got to be more than this. And the eyes of man are never satisfied. And so in the midst of this movie, he meets this young lady who is the most famous opera singer in Europe. And he asks her to come to America and begin to sing. And he wants to take her voice and this new show all over the world that he does and he makes more money than you could ever imagine all the while leaving his circus to sort of die at the moment. But in the midst of all that, and I want you to think about this first as you listen to this song, this lady who is called Jenny Lynn sang a song that I'm convinced is one that somebody here needs to hear. And I want you to hear the way she sings it. You know, one of the best things about this movie is they sang with such feeling. It's amazing how the world sings with more emotion than God's people do. We have a whole lot more to be emotional about. But look at how she sings a song entitled, Never Enough. And tell me if it isn't that verse. Listen. Share this with me. 
could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Put that verse back up there just one more time. The eyes of man are never, 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 never. That's the truth, isn't it? I read that verse and I thought, man, they must have read that verse before they wrote that song because that's exactly what God's word says. It'll never be enough. What's the message? Well, As you move farther into the movie, you find he starts getting it. Something happens. We'll see it in the message in just a moment. And then as our our team comes forward, I mean, Hugh Jackman did a pretty good job on this song, but wait till you hear Stephen Sellers. All right? You're going to love this. I asked this group to sing a song live that's in the movie. They do a better job than the guys in the movie. Don't worry. We're not going Hollywood. We're staying local. Listen to this. You'll hear Steve sing this in a moment. It was about exactly how he felt. He said, listen, I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praise my name. But those are someone else's dreams. The pitfalls of the man I became. For years and years, I traced their cheers. The crazy speed of always needing more. But then in the movie, he takes a picture of his family, his wife and two little girls. And he looks at the picture and he sings these words. But when I stop... And see you here. 
I remember who all this was for. And he comes back. It's an amazing, amazing moment in the movie. So listen to this song, and then I'll preach the message. Thank you guys so much. from then rubble what remains can only be what's true if all was lost is more I gained cause it led me back to you from will not be blinded by the lights from now on what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight tonight let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on, from now on, I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praised my name. But those are someone else's dreams The pitfalls of the man I became For years and years I chased their cheers The crazy speed of always needing more But when I stop and see you here I remember who all this was for And from now on be blinded by the light from now on what's waiting till tomorrow starts tonight it starts tonight let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on from now on
Hallelujah. Hey. What do you say we just cancel and go to the movie house right now? I'll give an invitation after the movie. It'll be a great altar call, the first one they've ever had. All right. Let's skip that, shall we? I think I might get criticized for that, and that would be well deserved. But thank you. What an amazing song, and what an amazing message. And now I want to bring it to the Word of God. So last week, we picked a theme verse. And the theme verse was James chapter 5, and it was a message to the church. James says, my brothers, that's speaking of us. He's talking to us. He says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, if you begin to wander from what you know is right, and someone brings him back, someone actually goes to him or calls him or texts him or emails him or approaches him or prays for him and helps get him back, then let that person know that brings him back. Make sure he knows that whosoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save a soul from death, from hell, will cover a multitude of sins. In other words, bring the wanderers home. Bring them home. Find them. Go get them. Locate them inside the church walls. They're disconnected. They're, they're, they're not connecting. They're, they're, they're distracted by something. Bring them home. There's no place like home. No place. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. There's got to be a reason why they say home, sweet home. You ever heard anybody say home, sour home? No, because it's not sour, it's sweet. In fact, I jotted down three things about home that I think are just amazing. I just write these down. Number one, familiar surroundings. That's one reason why home is so great. It's familiar. You, you, you know, I love, I love recognizing things and, and knowing where things are. And I, I, I don't trip over it. I know where the bathroom is. I know where my bedroom is. I know where what I want to eat in the kitchen is. And sometimes when you're not home, you just sort of feel out of place and you're not sure where anything is and you hate to ask somebody for something because you feel like, I mean, there's just nothing like being home and being familiar with everything. Number two, I wrote this down. I think home is home sweet home because of loving support. I mean, there's just something about people who are behind you that love you, that are your cheer. I love to come home and hear my wife say, Honey, how are you? I love you. Good to see you. I love to smell. I, I love to smell supper cooking when I get home. In fact, if you want to smell what we're eating for lunch, just smell Carol Ann right now. <laughs> I wanted to eat her a minute ago. I'm like, honey, you smell like a roast. <laughs> it's all over, man. It's great. I said, man, we ought to just sell some roast perfume. It would be phenomenal. <laughs> Loving support. And then the third thing I love about home is it's the people that know you best. Because I've always believed that the people who know you the best love you the most. They love you the most. And, and so I love being around my, my family because they, they know me. They, they know who I am and, and what my needs are. And, and they, they, they're supporting me and it's familiar. But you might be asking the question, well, preacher, if home is so great, then why are so many people wandering away from it? If church is so great, if, if church family is so great, then why do so many people get out of church? If, if, if family is so great, then why are so many breaking up and wandering into other relationships? I think the answer might be pretty simple. 
I'm convinced they really didn't mean to. I really believe that. I think most people just, just didn't mean for it to happen this way. In fact, if you could have a heart-to-heart conversation with them, they might even say, it's just not what I wanted. It just happened, and I'm not really sure how this all happened. Well, to that person, we say, come home. Come home. We're family. Now, we find in Scripture that, that someone very famous and popular and close to Jesus wandered, and his story is told very, very descriptively. In, it's, his name is Peter. Peter wandered away from Jesus. He was with him for three years. He walked with him. He saw the miracles that Jesus performed. And yet, when things got a little tough, Peter wandered away. Let me take you to the story on the screen in just a moment, Matthew 26. But let me set the context for you. It's always good to know the context of where we're going to be reading. First of all, the disciples had been with Jesus now for three years. So what we're reading is is three years of relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the final week. Where we're at in Scripture is the final week that's leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. They had already had the Lord's Supper, and Judas had already betrayed Jesus. So let's look at the story of Matthew 26 on the screen. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, look what Jesus said to all of them. Look at this. You will all fall away because of me this night. Wow. I mean, he's not pulling any punches, is he? He looks at his friends. He looks at his followers. He looks at his disciples. Peter's one of them. And he says, you will fall away from me this night. He gives us who, he gives us what, and he gives us when. Who? The disciples. What are they going to do? They're going to fall away. When are they going to do it? They're going to do it tonight. He's very, very descriptive. And then he says in verse 32, but after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So he gives this incredible statement. He tells the disciples they're going to fall away. I'm sure they're all sitting there kind of stunned, but what is their response going to be? Well, if you know anything about Peter, you know he's always the one that speaks up, right? And if you didn't know that, you know there's always one in the crowd that always has something to say. And so Peter was the first one to speak up. Now, I'm wondering what Peter's response was going to be. Let's, let's make it personal. Let's make it personal. Jesus looks at you right now and says, you are going to fall away. What's your response? What's your response? If he says to you, you're going to fall away, do you think it might be best to say, well, Jesus, whew, man, that scares me half to death. I don't know. I don't want to do that, Jesus. But if you say I'm going to do it, then I've, I've, got, to, I've got to fix it. What am I what, what am I doing, Jesus? Please help me, God. And we fall on our face, maybe, and just we beg for help. Well, let's see what Peter does. It'll be interesting to find out. Peter answers and says, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Cocky sucker, isn't he? Arrogant, like most Christians. I tell you, I find that, I say most, like a lot of Christians, forgive me for saying most. I know I've been that way. I know I've kind of been invincible. Have you ever been that way where you just feel like, you know, wait a minute, come on. Is that sermon really for me? I mean, he's wasting his breath. I think I'll find another church. He preached that last week. Well, maybe you needed it again. You know, we kind of get arrogant sometimes and we kind of think, you know, I love the people that leave church and always correct my messages. I'm like, go start your own church. I mean, come on, you know, I'm being, I'm totally being sarcastic. 
I really am. I'm really a nice guy. Just sometimes I get, you know, I get expressive. But sometimes I am amazed at how people like to sort of just dodge the issue themselves and, and, and look at everyone else as the problem. And Peter here begins to think, well, it's not me. It may be everybody else. But Jesus, you're talking to the best Christian on planet Earth. Well, I want to give you a, a quick thought here. If you are overconfident about something, you are in huge danger. Let me give you the scripture. Let me give you the scripture for that statement. That is a paraphrase. That is a paraphrase of this. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, overconfident, right? I'm overconfident. I'm okay. I'm good. Let that man... Take heed, lest he fall. The person who thinks I will never wander, I will never struggle, I can handle this, is the person who is in a very bad way. Let's go back to the text and see kind of how this thing plays out. So Jesus says to to Peter, after Peter responds that everybody would fall away, but I will never fall away, Jesus probably chuckles and says, Truly I tell you, this very night... Tonight, before the rooster crows, you are going to not deny me, not one time, Peter, not twice, you will deny me three times. You would think at that point, maybe Peter would get it, but Peter says, even if I must die with you. Slight exaggeration, Peter. Little overconfidence there. Even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. And one of the saddest statements I think about the whole story is all the disciples did the same. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. It's kind of how we get sometimes when we get in a cocky crowd. We, we get the crowd of people that kind of feel like they've arrived. You know, I'll never forget the time I... True story. True story. True, true, true. Knocked on the door. It's about 15 years ago. I'm in Hot Springs. I knock on the door. I invite this lady to church. And she looks at me and she says, uh, do you have a Dillard's section? I only wear clothes from Dillard's, and so I like to sit with the people that do. I said, well, we have a thrift store section. Walmart at best. How do you feel about that? Needless to say, she didn't come, okay? But I think sometimes we sort of feel like that. You know, we're, we're just in another class, a different section of Christianity. But this concerns me for you and me. And here's why. Because how wrong is Peter in this statement that he's going to stand and not fall and he would die? How wrong is he? He's dead wrong. But here's the scary thing, church. How right does he think he is? Dead right. Here's a man who is dead wrong but thinks he's right. He's blind to his own situation. He might have said it this way. He told me, but I didn't listen. And that, my friend, is the testimony of everyone who has ever wandered. Everyone who has ever wandered will at some point say, when they come back, yeah, you told me. I just didn't listen. In fact, one of the most powerful scenes in the movie towards the end is When Phineas Taylor Barnum looks at his wife and she had left him, he lost his family. And she had left him. And he runs back home and he looks at his wife and he makes this statement. You told me, but I didn't listen. 
I remember watching that and thinking, that, that is what every wanderer says. At some point, somebody told us, somebody warned us, but we said, no, no, not me. It would never be me. You told me, but I didn't listen. Let me give you four reasons the wanderer might refuse to listen. Number one, what do you think about this? Immaturity. Could that be a reason why? Here is the one that they, they don't know and they're too slow and so they don't ever really grow. Uh, the definition of immaturity might be this, the inability to connect our actions to our consequences. We just can't figure it out. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. We, we're going our own way. We're doing our own thing, but we don't see that that's leading to a very bad place. People are telling us, but we're just sort of ignoring it and we're, we're just immature. We just don't get it. In the movie, it happened when Phineas Taylor, P.T. Barnum, was talking to his partner. And his partner was trying to get his attention and saying, listen, the circus is suffering. We need you to be home. This is where we need you. You started this thing. They don't want to see me. They want to hear you. And he's begging him and following him. And he's walking around. And, and, and that's when he made the statement. He said, look, I've risked it all. You'll figure this thing out. And he just won't hear. And I'm like, as a, as a bystander in that movie, you're just like, listen, you're, you're, you're in for a, a train wreck. But he would not hear. You see, you're young only once, but you can be immature for life. It's funny because I think some of us that get older, we sort of think that immaturity is for young people. But can I tell you, I've seen a lot of 60 and 70 year olds that are immature. Doing childish things. Doing things that just don't really add up to where they're at in life, but they're immature. Number two, what about this word, rebellion? Could that that be why people wander? They're just flat out living in rebellion. The rebellion person says, this is my will and my thrill, you chill. Anybody ever had that said to them, kind of as the one they love is kind of doing the wrong thing? Just chill out, man. Chill out. Quit overreacting. Come on, preacher. Man, water it down. Don't call hell hot. I mean, can't you make it nicer than that? I'm sorry. Hell's a really bad place. I really don't want to make it sound better than it is. It's terrible. But but everybody wants to chill. Back off. You don't get it. In the movie, this happened. There was a scene when he he was leaving with this woman, Jenny Lynn, to go on tour. And his wife was just passionately making so much sense and in a very loving way saying... I don't want all of this. I just want you. I just want you. We're good. We don't need this house. Would you just please, you don't have to do any of this. He says, you don't understand. He storms out of the room and he gets in the carriage with this woman while his kids are running behind the cart saying, Daddy, Daddy. And I thought about me. Back in the day when I was traveling 52 weeks a year and preaching all over the country and I thought about how many times maybe I walked out of my house and didn't hear my kids say, Daddy, Daddy, why are you leaving? I got a ball game Tuesday night. Why are you leaving? I didn't, I didn't hear that because, man, I was enjoying the, you know, when you travel, you get money. They pay you. That's why I'm so poor now. <laughs> I was getting love offerings back then. Man, I tell you, one year I made $50,000 in just honorariums. It was amazing. It's hard, it's hard to walk away from that. 
And then everybody that you go preach for, guess what they give you after you preach? Why don't you guys ever do this? Just kidding, just kidding. You can tell I'm bitter right now. Illustration, hang on. It's a good illustration. You get all these cheers standing. Oh, introductions. It's good to have Brother Capese here with us today. One of the greatest preachers on planet Earth. This man of God is amazing. I tell you, I can't remember the first time I heard him. I just was so moved. And you're like, oh, thank you, brother. You talk like you've got a steeple stuck in your throat. You know. Everybody loves you. You're popular. Then you come home and everybody's like, you know, because you're family. You don't need to tell me that. I know you love me. You don't have to. It's, it's just really weird what happens to you out there. And it starts going to your head. And you start saying, listen, this is my will, my thrill. Just chill. Until a preacher came through and looked at me straight in the eye and say, you're going to lose your family. And it was a moment of total, it, it was just one of those moments that you'll see in the movie where Phineas just came to himself and he just realized, what am I doing? And then God kind of took care of all my friends when we made some changes and they all said, see ya. <laughs> so I lost them all anyway, you know. And God knew, maybe God knew all of it. I, I, I don't know how God has orchestrated where I'm at right now, but I can tell you this. I have less than I've ever had, but I'm happier than I've ever been. Go figure. I don't travel near as much. I'm not gone near as much. I still have some meetings, and there are some that still like to have me, and, and I'm making some new friends, and, and, and I enjoy that, and that's a small part of my life now. But to be honest with you, it's not, it's not a big part of my life. It's not, it doesn't mean what it meant to me before because my eyes are not blinded by the lights. And from now on, I want to be different, and I think I am different. And I've become a better dad, a better husband, a better pastor because of that. Number three, what about woundedness? Could woundedness be a problem? Do you think people are just hurt? Hidden hurts close hearts. In the movie, there's a scene where Phineas is, a, is about 13 years old. And he, he and his dad are, are, are doing some tailoring work for a rich man who is going to be his father-in-law. And the father-in-law just hates, hates him. And there's a scene when this man takes his hand and slaps him across the face. It's, it's, I mean, when you see it, you're like, oh, because he's just a child. And he gets slapped across the face. I, I, as the more I think about it, I think that was a hidden hurt in his life that never healed. And for the rest of his life, he wanted to prove to that man that slapped him in the face that he could have more than him. And you see that building in the movie if you've been through it. It was a hurt that had closed his heart, even to his own wife and kids. And I think there's a lot of people out there that have hidden hurts. And we need to understand, sometimes things happen and we hold these things inside and we don't listen to reason because we've been hurt. And then what about this one? Number four, relational things, just, just relational issues. Peers, friends. I'll put it to you like this. Peers in the ears block fears. When people in our lives are speaking to us and, and, and telling us what their opinion is, and they're not the right people, they're, they're probably people we shouldn't be listening to, but they're our peers, they're our friends, and we fall into that pressure, and all of a sudden, we don't see 
We don't fear anymore what could happen. We begin to feel as if we're, we're beyond that and that couldn't happen to us and things I should be afraid of, I'm not afraid of anymore because I'm, I'm too concerned about the people around me and what they might think. In the movie, there's a scene where he is in a crowd of wealthy people and they're all having champagne and I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praise my name. It was that scene and he's drinking and he's having a good time and his wife is leaving the room and that woman steps in, Jenny steps in and she says, they just don't understand because they've never, they've always had so much and they don't understand us folks that have never had much. And she starts getting in his ear and his wife's voice becomes deaf. He just hears the secretary's ear. He just hears the woman at works. He just hears the person that says, you look so nice today. He stops thinking about the value of his wife. See, this is amazing, isn't it? But this is what happened. Peers in the ears block fears. He told me, but I didn't listen. And now I'm ashamed by what I've done. And that's where Peter was in Scripture. Peter became ashamed of what he had done. And I want you to see it in Scripture because sometimes I'm concerned that we have a, a wrong idea of what shame is. And there's a, a shame that can lead us back to God. There is. And I want you to see it in Scripture, but I want to I explain it to you because I think sometimes we are so afraid to deal with, with our sin and with our wrongdoing that we just don't want to face sometimes the embarrassment of our mistakes. But it's okay. You know what set me free? What set me free is when I started telling you, I've done some things that I'm ashamed of and I'm not ashamed anymore to tell you that I'm sorry. And I've made some mistakes. It has been so refreshing to finally not be a perfect preacher. It's like a blessing. It's awesome. I mean, I'm so thankful now today that I, I don't have to stand up here and look better than you and dress all better than you and, and, and act better than you and talk with this theological voice. I'm glad I can just be a normal, everyday guy who struggles like you struggle. It's just so refreshing to be able to be that kind of person now. It's been a long time for me. But the last several years have been amazing. Look at Peter here. In, in chapter 26, verse 58, Peter was following him at a distance. Mm. Let's stop there and talk about that just for a minute. Isn't that interesting? Peter was following him at a distance. Does it say he was following him? Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. He was following Jesus, but just doing it at a distance. I think there's a lot of Christians that way. There's a lot of people that need to come back home. They're really not that far away. Okay, these are the people. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. It's cute. These are the people that go watch our ball games, but they don't come to our church. You know, they, they, they used to come, but now they just go to the ball games or, or maybe they go to activities, but they're afraid to get back in. They, they're following, they're still kind of keeping up with everything, but they're just doing it from afar. And he was as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end, to see what would happen. What's going to take place here? Let's get down to verse 69 when we see all of this kind of really escalate. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. It was mentioned in verse 58. And a servant girl comes up to him and says... You also were with Jesus. I recognize you. But 
he denied. No, no, I wasn't. I don't know what you mean. He does what a lot of us do when we're ashamed. When we're ashamed, we, we play dumb. What? 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 I don't, what? 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 You know? What do you mean? What are you talking about? Verse seventy-one, and when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she says to the bystanders, "This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. I know he was. He was with Jesus." Well, it's time to curse now because we really need to make sure they know we're not that person. So now it says he denied it with an oath or with a curse or with an expletive. In other words, he says, expletive. I don't know the man. Really, Peter, you don't know the one that called you the rock? Really? You're going to die for him, Peter. Hmm. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself. I'd rather be in hell than be associated with Jesus. He, he invokes a curse on himself. I don't know the man. And immediately the cock crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now let's stop for just a moment. And let me make this statement. When you are surrounded by wrongdoers, wrongdoing comes easily. Remember that. I mean, this is for everybody, but especially, I'd like, I'd like to say this to our younger crowd. When you surround yourself by people doing wrong, it will be easy for you to do the wrong thing. Wrong crowd, easy to get on the wrong path. So Peter was with the wrong crowd, so it was easy for him to get on the wrong path. Now, how many of you, and my hand's going to go up, just in case anybody thinks that they're alone here, I'm going to raise my hand before I ask the question because my hand is up and answer yes to this question. How many of you have ever done something that you're ashamed of? Raise your hand. My hand's up. Thank you. I, it's the truth. I've, I, I, I mean, I could keep raising it. I mean, I, I've done some things that I'm ashamed of. But I suggest to you that being ashamed is not always a bad thing. Hang on. You see, Jeremiah the prophet, he, 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 he introduced it like this. He said... Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They weren't ashamed. They they didn't even blush. You see, the definition of shame is the painful feeling existing from the realization that personal actions have brought disgrace. That's that's the definition of shame. It's it's this feeling that what I've done has, has hurt somebody. It's 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 brought disgrace, maybe to my family's name or maybe to to, to, to my church, or to the name of Jesus. But I propose to you that shame is what brings the wanderer home. Hang on. One interesting thing about the movie was at the very end when he's lost it all, he's lost his family, he's lost his kids, and he's sitting in a bar and he's drinking alcohol, which is where a lot of people go when they get to this place, right? They got to find something else to, to ease the pain. And all of a sudden, this little midget, Tom Thumb, you know, comes in. He walks across the, the, the bar thing, and he stops, and he, he says, I knew you'd be here feeling sorry for yourself. And then everybody else starts coming in there like, oh, man, come on, get over this. What's wrong? Come, we love you. You know we love you. You gave us meaning. And they start speaking life into him. And, and all of a sudden, it's like he realizes, what am I doing? And then comes the song that we sang from now on. 
You see, it was the shame of what he had done that brought him back to his family. The problem is that people often have wrong responses to shame. It's not shame in and of itself. That can help to bring the wanderer home. But it's the wrong responses to shame that we need to understand. This is, this is, it's not shame in itself. It's what do we do with the shame? So let me give you quickly in closing today four bad responses to shame. Number one, to deny the shame. That's a bad response. It never happened. Just deny it ever happened. Just ignore it. It never happened. And, and try not to think about it. And, and, and that's not a good plan. Don't, don't deny the shame. Secondly, a, a bad response is to, 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 to uh, dilute your shame. It's, a, it's another very bad response. This is someone maybe who's been abused. And, and, and now, they, because they've diluted the shame, they begin to become the abuser. And almost the way they've been treated is empowers them to feel as if they can treat people that way and be okay with it. They dilute the shame. The third bad response is to despair the shame. Isn't this what Judas did? Judas made a really bad mistake and he decides, I'm just going to take my life. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with it anymore. And so he despairs his shame. And then the fourth bad response is to depart my shame. To get as far away as I can from what happened to me. And this is oftentimes where the wanderer leaves church or leaves his family. And he gets as far away as he possibly can. That is not a good response to the shame. Peter did that. In fact, in John chapter 21, as we close the message, you're there, right? That's where we started, remember? So you're looking now at that passage. It's not on the screen because I always like you to have something to look at at some point in the message. In verse 1, we find Peter has been running from the Lord. He's been running from the will of God for his life. He's no longer with Jesus. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. Jesus shows up and they didn't recognize him. They were all together. You see that in verse 2, Simon Peter. Do you see that? Thomas and many of the other disciples, their names are listed there. And then in verse 3, it says, Simon Peter says, I go a fishing. His response to the shame was to get as far away as he possibly could. In fact, the Sea of Galilee would have been 60 miles away from where Jerusalem was. He was far away from where he was in public ministry. He had gotten as far away. He'd gone back to his old life fishing. In fact, other scriptures tell us he was stark naked in a boat. I'm glad you've got clothes on today, amen? Even if you are a little backslidden, it's good to see you with clothes on, amen? We're all, we're all a little backslidden, I'm sure. But Peter was just stark naked, fishing on a boat, doing his own thing, as far away as he could get from the situation. But here's the message. You ready? This is beautiful. I love this. Because it says in Scripture, and I believe this is where it all begins, and I, I, I should have read the last part of verse 75, but where it all began for Peter was it says that when the, co- when the rooster crowed three times that he went out and wept, what? Bitterly. He was ashamed. Can I tell you something that shatters shame? Look at it. Repentance shatters shame. The proper response to shame is repentance. Shame leads us back. And then we repent of what we've done. We just simply come clean. We realize, wait a minute, Jesus loves me. The church loves me. This is what God has for my life. 
and we repent of what we've done and we realize that Jesus wants to, doesn't want us to live with that shame. We can be washed. We can be clean. We can be forgiven. We can have our whole life turned around. That's what we've been singing about. And you can come back home. You can come back home from now on. It can be new. You say, yeah, but what about? No, 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 no. No, what about your past? No, no, no. We don't want to hear about it. We want it to be from now on. And that's the way God is. God is a from now on God. God says, when you repent, I forgive and we restore. Just humble yourself and come home. Now let's look at the response that Jesus had to the fearful wonder of Peter. Would you look at, if, if you would, at verse 4. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. I love that. When the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus, uh, Peter is out there in a boat, naked, fishing. And Jesus is there on the shore. Number one, the first response, if you will, of Jesus is this. He lovingly pursues the wanderer. He pursues the wanderer. Did you read in the songs that we were singing, Come Thou Fount, Come As You Are? Even the first song we sang, Reckless Love, every single song spoke of a pursuing God. God is after us. He continually pursues us. Here he is, going after Peter, pursuing Peter. He is, Peter is far away, but God is right there. He's on the shore. He's right there, ready for Peter to repent and come back home. This is the kind of God we serve. Isn't it beautiful? And then the second thing I want you to notice is that Jesus waits for the right time. He always waits for the right time. Jesus doesn't barge his way back in. He's waiting peacefully on the shore. He's just there. If you'll notice, if you read through John 21... He doesn't say anything to Peter till about verse 15. And finally he speaks to Peter, but he doesn't say a whole lot to Peter. He's waiting for the right time because softly and tenderly Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See from the portals he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home. He's not, he's not screaming. It, it, it scares me sometimes to think about how we've handled some wanderers. What's wrong with you, boy? Why don't you get wrong with God? Hmm. I just don't know if that's really what Jesus does to the wanderer. I think Jesus is a softly and tenderly God. You know what I read about that song, Softly and Tenderly? Get this. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said this. He said, of all the songs I've ever heard, the one song that I wish I would have written is Softly and Tenderly. He said, those are the words of Jesus. Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is called. And today he's calling for you to come home. He's saying tenderly, come home. But, but I've, no, 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 it's okay. Come on home. But I've denied you three times. I actually used an ex expletive. I cursed. I, I, I forgot about that already. It's okay. I saw you weep bitterly. I saw how you felt about that, Peter. I know you didn't mean to do it. Do you love me, Peter? Well, yeah, I love you. Come home. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I believe this is a loving, safe place for anybody to come home to. I mean, we're, we're just two sermons into this series, but I believe with all of my heart that, that God is calling us in this building to do two things. The first thing God's calling us to do is to go get the wanderer. There's somebody God wants you to go get. I mean, he tells us that, John and James 5. Go get them. Go get them. I think the second thing God is calling us to do is to come home. You say, well, I'm here, preacher. What do you mean? Yeah, but you've been distracted. You've been hurt. Something is going on. I know. I've been there. I've been hurt. I've been distracted. I was the pastor of the church in wandering. You say, oh, if we would have known that, we would have never had you to be our pastor. Well, guess what? That's pretty much every pastor if he's honest. We, we're not perfect. We wander. We get off base. Sometimes we just don't listen to the voices speaking to us. I just want to thank God I never lost my marriage. I never found myself with another woman in a motel room thinking that I was above that. Thank God that I got, somebody got my, the attention of this preacher before I went and did something really bad that would have disqualified me from ministry. Seriously. Because a lot of my friends today are disqualified from ministry because, or from pastoring, I should say. Because they just are still wandering. And the farther we get from God, the, the, the more we hurt ourselves and God is calling us to come home. You say, well, I'm a little ashamed. That's okay. That shame will lead you to repentance. And that repentance is what Jesus says, shatter shame. So you come as you are. And if you need to come and pray at this altar about God help me to have the courage this week to send that text or send that email or make that phone call, then just ask God to give you the courage to do that. Maybe it's you need to pray that God would lead somebody else to contact someone because you feel like maybe you're not the one to do it. Well, that's okay. Pray that God would send somebody else. If you need today to come to Jesus, the invitation is going to be open. Our response time is not lengthy on Sunday morning, but it's long enough for you to respond. Trust me. And if you feel like you'd like to talk to me after the service, I'll make time. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for this moment of response. And God, as we sing and worship and pray, Holy Spirit of God, use the message, even the movie, even the songs that were not written for the purpose of maybe singing in a church service, but God, you can take a message, even in a, in a secular song, and you can use that for your honor and your glory. And so I'm grateful, God, that you're, nothing's impossible. Thank you for taking what you have given us today and helping us to process it so we can come back home. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? Everyone's